time for us to uh, go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. Always, always a joy. I can't say it enough to hear everybody talking and uh, enjoying one another's company. That's, to me, that's one of the great advantages in addition to studying the Bible of meeting midweek. And uh, it's always encouraging, I think, anytime we can assemble together. have a few announcements. I do hope that you will pick up one of the bulletins. Uh, before you leave tonight, it has an updated list of those on the sick list, and we certainly want to remember those in our prayers. In addition to that, there's some other announcements that we want to make. First of all, beginning this coming Sunday, we're going to have an attended nursery during the morning service, so please take note of that. Also, lads to leaders this Sunday, Bible Bowl will be at 415 and uh, you will not meet on the 27th. Also, lads to leaders, song leading and songs of praise. Uh, third grade and up will have their last workshop in the TAC this Sunday uh, following the morning worship. Uh, also, there's going to be a Young Ladies' Day at Leoma Church of Christ this coming Saturday, November the 19th. Uh, the bus is going to leave at 6 o'clock. This is for 7th grade through college. If you're interested in that, uh, you can see Carrie Parsons about that as well. 
Also, uh, the food pantry is going to be open tomorrow, and uh, we have quite a few folks involved in that, but if you're interested in helping, we'd love to have you. We had 113 family units that came through just last week, uh, which was a very, very high number. Don't know how many we'll have tomorrow, but if you're ever interested in helping with that, uh, you're more than welcome to come. It'll be open tomorrow from 9 until 1030. Uh, we rejoice tonight uh, that Isaac Farr was baptized into Christ by his father, Jonathan, uh, yesterday evening. And uh, we are so thankful for Isaac and this great decision. And we're proud of him. And I know his family's proud of him. And so if you see Isaac tonight, uh, be sure and congratulate him on that life-changing decision. We want to express our deepest sympathy to the family of Eugenia Kaiser, who passed away from uh, this life on Tuesday of this week. And uh, she had just celebrated her 100th birthday, so she got to that milestone. Uh, visitation for the family and friends will be on Friday from 5 until 8. The funeral is going to be on Saturday at 1 with another period of visitation beginning at 11 a.m. And uh, Macmillan Funeral Home will be handling uh, that service. I do want to remind you that uh, a week from last night, this coming Tuesday, November the 22nd, uh, we will be having a special service here uh, in the auditorium. Instead of our normal Wednesday night service, it'll be somewhat abbreviated as well. Uh, but the good thing is following uh, that service, there'll be a pie supper in the annex. That went over real well last year. And so if you like pies, and of course, you think about all kinds of pies you can make. You know, it doesn't have to be sweet pies. It could be any kind of pies. Maybe it has meat in them or whatever you want to put in it. But, uh, you know, we're going to have a pie supper next Wednesday night following the service. I believe that's all the announcements that I have uh, to make. I do want to invite you to come back and be with us on Sunday morning for our worship service from 9.30. It will begin, and then on Sunday night at 5, we have great classes for all ages, and uh, we would certainly love to see you then. For our devotional tonight, uh, Ken Scott is going to be leading our singing, and uh, Brother Todd English will dismiss us in prayer. Good evening. Uh, take your hymn books and turn to 939. Mark them at 939. This will be our song of invitation in a few moments. Now open your books to 417. 417. <clears throat>
Brother uh, Bobby Brazel just texted me, and we currently have 136 in our college class tonight, which is fantastic. Uh, I'm sure that number may go up a little bit more. Usually a few come in late, but isn't that a wonderful number? And uh, I think it says a lot about the continuity uh, of the college class. You know, it, it's not on a decline in any way whatsoever. And a lot of good's being done there. They hear the gospel every week. Uh, they just don't hear this feel-good stuff, you know, that sometimes you get with fluff and all that. They do hear the gospel, the seeds planted, and we're thankful for the progress of that good work. Speaking of numbers, you may not have realized it, but our population in this world recently surpassed the 8 billion mark. And when I saw that, I looked online and I found what's called a world-a-meter kind of just keeps up with it, you know, and how things are going and progressing number-wise. And uh, currently it says there's 8,314,113,14,15 as it goes. Well, Bobby just texted me, he said there's 138. You know, two more is great, that's fine. But since midnight, since midnight last night, there have been 292,000 745 births. Since midnight last night, there's been 146,614, 15, and 16 deaths. And our population growth today, uh, since midnight, is growing today by 146,200 plus. And uh, you think about births just this year in our world, 117,396,626. Then deaths this year, since the beginning, January the 1st of, of this year, deaths this year, 58,786,760. Counting. Now, those numbers to me are staggering. And they're primarily staggering to me for just one reason. Each one of these numbers is a soul. Each one of these numbers, no matter what their nationality is, no matter what their social status may be, no matter what their educational background, each one of these represents a soul that's going to live eternally in heaven or in hell. Just quickly, I look at the deaths today, 146,805, it'll be up to 147,000 before we dismiss here in just a few minutes to go to our Bible classes. How many of those almost 147,000 people do you think are going to be saved? I have no idea. But I've got a feeling that almost all of them will enter into eternity unprepared to meet God. You think about the deaths this year so far, 58,397,000 that's how many souls in this world have gone into eternity, most of whom are unprepared to meet God. And so what I'm saying tonight is we've got, we've got a great job on our hands. We've got a, an enormous task. And when the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, he didn't give us something that we cannot do. Our Lord didn't tell us and give us a commission that we could not carry out. We can spread the gospel. We can teach a lost and dying world, but you know, it begins right here, doesn't it? It begins with me and doing what I can in my own little part of the world, and it begins with you. You know, part of sharing the gospel, I think, is not only verbally expressing what obedience means, but it's living the kind of life that we ought to live so that we can be attractive to those round about us, that we can let our light shine so that uh, the God of heaven might be magnified and glorified. That's what we need to do first of all. 
And then as that, those open doors of opportunity happen, we are ready to, to spread the gospel and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are lost. We've got to become more concerned about lost souls. Suppose you were one of those hundreds of thousands of people that had never heard the gospel. Wouldn't you want the opportunity to hear it? You know, what's going to happen if we don't do and fulfill our obligations? So tonight, I want you to think about not only the billions of souls throughout the world, but think about your own soul tonight. Are you prepared to meet God? Are you living the kind of life that magnifies and glorifies the God of heaven? Or maybe you might need to do tonight what Isaac did last night. You may need to come and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ to put on the Lord in baptism, knowing that that act will wash away your sins and you can know the joy of salvation. And so tonight, if you need to respond to heaven's call, we ask that you come now while we stand and see. pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings of it. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cruel cross of Calvary that we may have a home in heaven with you. Lord, I ask that you be with each of the Bible class teachers tonight. Be with Brother Ken Sunday morning as he delivers the word. Lord, and allow us to just take what we hear today and apply it to our lives so we can bring someone closer to you. Lord, I ask that you be with our nation, be with our state, be with our community. Lord, be with our homes, because, Lord, we know that there's no greater satisfaction than leading our homes closer to you. Lord, I ask that you be with all those that are sick. Watch over us, guide us, and direct us. Forgive us of our many sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus calls the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the
Good evening, everybody. Wonderful to see you. Hope you're having a great week. This class is studying the distinctive nature of the New Testament church. If you're in the wrong class, you were hoping uh, to study something else. There is a study in the book of Romans over in the tack. Only thing is, you have to put on your heavy coat and earmuffs and gloves and stuff to get over there. But um, there is that option. I'm sure it's a, a great class. That, that should be a wonderful study. I have these people who are sick that we're praying about and some other things to mention to you. And I hope, I hope you will keep a list handy where you can every day be taking these names to our Father. We've seen improvement of so many people and very appreciative to everybody for, for your, your prayer work. Irene Baker is Melinda Hester's mother. She has terminal cancer. Martha Eaton's recovering from foot surgery, but she's been doing great, seems like. Austin Wentz is John Wilda's grandson. He is undergoing treatment for cancer. He's taken chemotherapy. He had to have like a hundred different uh, doses of that. So it's just a long, long process. Ann Stevens and Don Dawson both have chronic illness. Wade Davis is still missing since June, uh, June the 22nd. Carolyn Wilcott is recovering at home. Bobby Petty, who is Joe Garrett's friend, has lung cancer. Doug's dad, Kelby Smith, has not been well for some time. Cody McGee is recovering from foot surgery. Vanessa Williams is a member at Snowdown. She has leukemia. Chopper Taylor is suffering, and he had an MRI the other day uh, waiting for results of that. Uh, Brenda's also been down, uh, so we're glad that you're back, Brenda, but uh, we're just praying that Chopper can get some answers and get some treatment. Larry Kennedy is a brother-in-law of Becky Johnson. He's been undergoing some tests to determine exactly what to do about a, a mass was discovered in his shoulder. Cassie Stewart is recovering from a broken elbow. And she just deals with chronic pain. So uh, always keep her in your prayers. Danny Ramdahl is our missionary in Guyana. He has kidney failure. Cheryl Hoffman's being treated for spinal pain. Marilyn Jones had hip surgery. Is she skipping along yet? Not skipping? Okay, that's good. She's making progress. Glad for that. Uh, Linda is doing okay? Okay. Uh, Van Roberts has pancreatic cancer. Will Tennyson got his test back and um, thankful that he's still free of cancer. Janice Taylor's mother-in-law fell. Uh, she punctured a lung, developed pneumonia. She's over at Landmark. She's 92 years old. Anita had a biopsy on Tuesday. Still don't have any results yet. They said it could be three to 10 days, so it might be after Thanksgiving. But thank you, everybody, for praying for her and those of you that just on your own, given her verbal encouragement, really appreciate that. Diane White's going to be having cataract surgery on the 22nd. Charles Moore is one of our food pantry visitors, and he asked us for prayers. He's having cataract surgery. Paul Rollison is a friend of Joe's, Joe Garrett's. He has brain cancer. Uh, Hayden, this is so, Sue's great-grandson, uh, still not feeling well, but he's making progress, and we're thankful for that. Joyce Morris fell. She injured herself. We want to pray for her recovery. Laura Crocker's friend, Caitlin, has sepsis related to a kidney stone. Jody Long has a cousin, Joan Leslie. Some of you may know her. Uh, she's over at the Boonville Hospital. You heard about uh, Eugenia Kaiser passing away. Remember her family. Uh, Bob Floyd was admitted to the hospital in Tupelo. He has pneumonia. And again, Isaac, Isaac Farr was baptized yesterday. And that's just, that's, we should rejoice. Yes, very thankful for that. Uh, also, what didn't make the bulletin, so I don't know if it didn't make the cut or what, but uh, Anita and I are hosting an open house on December the 4th. That's the first Sunday in December. 
It'll be from two until four. Please come because we have had to skip Thanksgiving in order to get a Christmas stuff ready. I know, boo, sad, but that's what we had to do. So, <laughs> so had to shelve Thanksgiving to get all that out. So please come and observe what we've been up to. We just love to have you in our home. Do you have anybody else that you would like to add to our list? Rage bars. Okay. Anyone else? What? Okay, say it again because we had conflicting voices. Bristol? Crystal. Crystal. See, I can't hear. She possibly has cancer of liver and kidneys. Okay, and. Okay. Croson. 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 Okay. Let's pray for these people. And I hope you wrote them down. If you didn't, you can jot them down. Let's be praying for uh, good results for these folks. All right. Father, thank you for a great day today. Thank you for blessing us to the degree that we're able to assemble here. We're thankful for your protection over us. We're thankful that we enjoy sufficient health. We, we want those things to continue. They're out of our hands, honestly. So we're just grateful for today and our state of being. But we thank you for walking with us and providing what we do have. And we pray for these people that are suffering in a lot of different ways. We're praying that they can be comforted and deal with the struggles that they're in the midst of. We pray for Irene Baker and for her family that she'll have good days. We pray for Martha Eaton that she can have a full recovery with her foot. Bless Austin Wentz as he undergoes his treatments that his body will bear up under it all. We pray for Ann Stevens and Don Dawson as they both have chronic illness and have been unable to be with us for a while. We pray for the Davis family and Wade's still missing. We really don't know what to ask because we, we live our lives in hope. But Father, whatever the outcome, we're just praying that you'll bring peace and comfort to this family, especially to Sue. And if closure is a possibility, we certainly pray for that too. Pray for Carolyn Wilcott that she'll recover well and be back with us soon. Bless Bobby Petty as he has lung cancer. Be with Kelby Smith and strengthen him. Please bless Cody McGee in his recovery with his foot. We pray for Vanessa Williams in her battle with leukemia. We ask your blessings on Chopper that he can get some relief from the excruciating pain that he's dealing with. He can't find any comfort in any position. We just pray that he can get relief soon. And we're, we're thankful Brenda's better, but I know that is also a trial for her as she's trying to be supportive of him. Please bless Larry Kennedy that he can get some understanding of what his situation is and that he can get the treatment he needs. Bless Cassie Stewart that she'll have good days and recover quickly. Be with Danny Ramdahl that he can get treatment that will help to heal his kidneys. We pray for Cheryl Hoffman that she can find relief from her pain. We're thankful that Marilyn Jones is doing well, and we just pray that she'll continue to progress and get better every day. And we also pray the same thing for Linda Beard in her recovery, that both of them will have a full recovery. Bless Van Roberts in the battle with pancreatic cancer. We're thankful for Will Tennyson's good report, and we pray 
that that will be normal for him. We pray for Janice Taylor's mother-in-law in her rehab at Landmark. We pray that you'll bless Anita, that her health will be good and that she'll get good biopsy results and an understanding at least of, of what she's been dealing with. We pray for Diane White as she has cataract surgery soon and for Charles Morris, he's having the same. We just pray good results for them. Bless Paul Rollison who has brain cancer. We pray that Hayden will feel better very soon and that his treatment successful. Bless Joyce Morris in her recovery from her fall. We're thankful she wasn't injured any worse than she was. Bless Caitlin, who is dealing with this infection from the kidney stone. Be with Joan Leslie as she is receiving treatment at Boonville, and we pray that she can get home soon and, and back to normal circumstances. We pray for the Kaiser family in their time of bereavement, but we thank you for Eugenia's long life and good influence that she had on others. Bless Bob Floyd that he will get treatment that will result in healing in his body. He can overcome this pneumonia. We rejoice with Isaac and his family and his obedience to the gospel. And we pray that you will, I would pray, Lord, that you just put a hedge around him, protect him from the efforts of Satan to undermine his decision. Just help him to get a good start and strong roots in his Christian walk. We pray for Reed Sparks in his regrettable situation with losing his legs. And we just pray for his state of mind and for his physical health. We pray for Crystal who potentially has both liver and kidney cancer. We would pray that those test results are wrong and that she's okay. But we just pray more than anything that she can get whatever Treatment will result in good health for her and just bless her and give her peace of mind. We also um, pray for Lex, who has lots of health issues. We pray that those can be resolved and that he'll feel better soon. Lord, please bless us in our study of your word tonight. And I just pray that you will help us to appreciate more than ever how distinctive, unique the church really is, and not just to keep that to ourselves, help us to be broadcasters of that truth and to be passionate enough about our membership that we would want to see others to be a part of it too. We just thank you for those who spoke the truth to us, led us to you, and we are grateful to be your children and grateful for the opportunity to serve. Thank you for hearing our prayer and for all the wonderful ways that you'll respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we're going, we, we kind of started a little bit, so we'll review just shortly a couple of things that we began with last time, but we're talking about the New Testament church now. I'm going to lay down some things pretty simple things. And then over the course of the next several weeks, we will be building on some of the points that we introduced tonight. So I guess in some ways, this is kind of an outline of what is to come. And then we will get in more detail about some of these things a little bit later. Look, I'm, I, I use this whiteboard uh, as a means of trying to keep you involved in the study. So as the thing is unfolding here, I'm just writing down some notes and I'm hoping, I'm hoping, peace, that you're taking notes and that you can use these things in the future. If that's not your thing, then if you'll let me know, I can, dare I even say it, but I can actually give you a printed out, typed up uh, lesson sheet with the information on it. I, I hesitate to do that because I don't want people just taking that and putting it on the shelf. I want you to pay attention and learn this stuff so that it is yours. But if that is helpful to you, you let me know and I'll be happy to make some copies available to people. Okay, so talking about the New Testament church, last time 
as we closed class, we were defining some terms. One of those terms was the church. And I gave you the Greek word ekklesia. And you defined that word for me because you, you probably already know what church means. So the word ecclesia literally means what? Called out. Called out. So something's called out. I used an example, actually came from Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 32. Actually, the word is assembly. I use that text because it is a text that is making reference not to the church that we think of, the religious, the body of Christ. Not that, but another use of the term to kind of emphasize what the church is. In that case, it was a bunch of people that had been essentially called out of their homes. They all had a central focus in that they were mad. Some of them, I'm sure, didn't know what they were mad about, but they got the mob mentality. So the mob became an assembly, and that word assembly that's in the English translation is actually translated out of the word ecclesia, about as far away from what we would think of as the church. But what I want you to see in that illustration is the sense of being called out doesn't it how the sense of being called out is the direction that's being given it could have been applied to a lot of different things but the idea that people from all walks of life had a central mindset and came together as one body is is very reflective of what we think about when we think about the church we're all made up of a lot of different kinds of people different social places, a lot of different incomes in this room, a lot of different experiences throughout life. Some of us maybe were raised in a Christian home. Some of us became Christians late in life. We're all a little bit different, but we've all been called out into one group. That's the idea of being called out. But I also mentioned another text that I think is pretty helpful, and that is 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Remember that one? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You're going from darkness to light. You're going from a lost condition to a saved condition. So that is the picture of what it is that all of us from our different backgrounds have been called together into as the ecclesia, the people who are called out. Now let's take that a step further because Jesus actually takes it a step further. You'll see, especially through a lot of Jesus' early teaching, even the Sermon on the Mount was directed to this, the idea of a kingdom, a kingdom. So we talk oftentimes in the scriptures along similar lines, not just the idea of the church as the called out, but a called out kind of kingdom. I make that connection because of something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter, get ready, Rick, you ready? Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. What does that text say? Yep. Yep. And see, while he's getting that, you're jotting that down, and you're like, man, I am on it. Anita was telling me that I don't write very well. And I was like, really? I'm shocked. I've never heard that before. So you see, I'm trying to print this stuff now. Uh, next time I'll just be using common symbols that people know. But okay, go ahead. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Okay, there's a lot that we are going to talk about from this text a little bit later in our study that is significant. But the only thing that I want you to notice here is how fluidly Jesus goes from talking about building his church to the idea of Peter, who he describes as, well, you're Peter, but on the rock. I don't want to really go into it too much, but Peter is a little rock, and the rock that he talks about as a foundation is a bedrock. So Peter, you're a little, little part of that, but I'm telling you that this church is founded on a, on a truth that is a bedrock, and that's going to be that Jesus is the Son of God. But that aside, so here is Peter, and on this rock, this confession of his that Jesus is the son of God, I will build my church, the called out. He says the gates of Hades or the gates of death are not going to prevail against it. And I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wait, stop. In this context, the church is also very smoothly referred to as what? The kingdom. I already have that up there. The, the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. Now, what is it about a kingdom? If you're in a kingdom, you are l very literally under the, well, I was going to say the reign. Uh, yeah, that. Hang on to that thought for a second. But if someone is a king, he is reigning. What does it mean when you reign? If you reign, you are the authority. You are the authority. In fact, there may be a written law, but if you speak it, what? That's the law. It, it reminds you, doesn't it, of Jesus saying that his words were the words that we were going to be judged by, right? You can reject me if you want to, but it's my words that are going to be judging you in the last day. So Jesus, if he is reigning over a kingdom, he is the king. That means that anybody who is in the church is under the reign of the reign of Jesus. So yes or no, if you're in the kingdom of God, you're submitting to the dictates or the teachings of Jesus. Is that true or not? Okay, so John 12, 48, he who rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The words that I have spoken the same will judge him in the last day. Okay, so we are submitting to Jesus. We're called out of a world, uh, by the way, whose king or prince of darkness is none other than whom? That's, that would be Satan. And you can only serve one or two master, one of two masters, right? We're looking, Jesus is calling for us to come out of that world of darkness, that kingdom of darkness, and to be conveyed in the kingdom of the son of his what? The son of his love. Okay, another aspect of this is going to be prophecy. We'll have a whole, whole description of prophecy and how the church was foretold and so forth. But I wanted to just introduce the idea by looking at some instances in which the Old Testament scriptures foretold the events that would lead up to and then culminate in the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom. And the idea of church and kingdom are significant beginning right here in the book of Daniel, chapter 2 and verse 44. What does that text say? Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Okay, we're going to go into this a little bit later, but suffice it to say now, he's talking about the end game right here. All of history from the point where Daniel was involved with the Babylonians was going to be resolved future. 
it would go through four periods in which kingdoms would dominate the earth. The first was the one that it was, he was contemporary with, and that was the Babylonian kingdom. But it was, you even see this happen in the book of Daniel, that was going to give way to the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus is going to be pretty significant in the history of God's people. Eventually, there would be another world conqueror by the name of Alexander the Great, who was leader of what group of people? The, the, the Greeks, right? That would be the third kingdom. And then the fourth, in the period in which the kingdom that's going to be established that would last forever, that period would then be the next world dominating kingdom, and that is the Romans. So in terms of prophecy, uh, identifying those kingdoms, uh, just, just thinking now, okay, the kingdom that God's going to establish that's never going to fall what Jesus identified as being the church was going to happen during the period of that last king or that, that last kingdom. And that, that is the Romans. Uh, I designated with an R. Isaiah does a beautiful thing. Do, do you remember how many chapters Isaiah has in it? It has 66. Isaiah is a cool book to study because in the Old Testament, you have how many books? 39. First 39 chapters deal with foretelling of things that were to come. Then the last 27 chapters, which corresponds to how many chapters you have in the New Testament. Oh, that's right, you have 27. That refers to the events of, guess who? The, the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to say that you only limit it to that because talk of Jesus begins when? In the book of Isaiah? No, all the way back where? In the book of Genesis, right. In fact, when man is created, who's present? Jesus. Uh, at least the, the deity of the second person, the Godhead, who becomes the incarnate, the physical manifested uh, entity of Jesus. So uh, he's all in this. So it wouldn't be surprising then as you kind of making a, a, a general view of the book of Isaiah that there would, be, there would be pictures of that everywhere. And Isaiah actually begins that. I love it because in the book of Ephesians, it talks about how God has planned the church from before the foundation of the world. But look at this, Rick. This is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Pretty famous text. And in fact, it might be fun for you while he's reading that to look at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Because they're word for word. Okay, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it, unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, this is pretty neat. So we're thinking, wait, the, the church, the kingdom is going to come during the time of the Romans. Now we find out from Isaiah, Isaiah says the word of the Lord's coming from where? It's coming straight out of Jerusalem, out of Zion. So it's going to be the time during the time of this kingdom, but very specifically, this thing is going to be drawn out of Jerusalem. It would be interesting to know how that whole thing got kicked off in chapter 7 and verse 14 gives us a clue. What is that? Yes, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give, up, give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Anybody know when that happened? You can read about it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. In fact, Matthew says, this birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy that had happened 600 years earlier. He is the Emmanuel. Oh, get this. That is the idea of God with us. So, Again, all this stuff is kind of culminating together. And then you don't have to read all of Isaiah 53. But by the time you get to Isaiah 53, we're not just contemplating the going forth of the word from Jerusalem, nor are we just contemplating the idea of the birth of the Messiah who's going to save people. But also, he's 
a suffering servant who is going to die for people's sins. You see, Isaiah takes care of what? The whole package, yes? I mean, you talk about a book of prophecy concerning Jesus. He's all over it. And then so is David. Uh, probably in the New Testament scriptures, I, I think this is true, that the book of Psalms is quoted more with relation to these kinds of prophecies than any other book. But one that kicks it off pretty well is Psalm 22 and verse 1. And when you hear this, while well, he's looking that up and you're jotting it down, when you hear this, you tell me, as soon as you hear it, where this statement comes from. Where have you heard this before? Go ahead. Psalm 22, verse 1. To the chief, to the chief musician upon Ageleth Shahar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever, anybody you know ever say anything like that? Jesus said that while he is dying on the cross. What was Jesus, I mentioned this in a sermon one time, but I can't get enough of this idea. As Jesus is dying on the cross, already having been scourged, literally within inches of his life, but still having to fulfill prophecy by hanging on the tree. So his life is still within him. So he's suffering. He's hanging on that cross. But all this time that he's hanging on that cross dying, what is he still working through in his mind? The fulfillment of scripture. The fulfillment of scripture. Just, I just... Ah, wow. You know, I, I don't know. I've never been through that before, <laughs> but I'm just imagining I'd be pretty distracted in those moments. Would you? Especially with the mob and the crowd and everybody hurling up abuse. And they're just it's it's just a never ending source of anguish. And instead of getting caught up in that and wishing that death would come quicker, you're thinking what's left? What's to fulfill? Oh, now separation from the Father. Worst thing that's ever happened, however necessary, so that what will happen? So the scripture will be fulfilled. And that scripture, you and I, we're thankful is fulfilled, right? Because that's our salvation. That is our salvation. Okay, so we got the church kind of thinking about how it's identified in these scriptures. And you see there are some building blocks where we're going to be able to go in there just on the basis of prophecy and find out who this, what this church is and what's so unique about it. Also, the idea of how the church is prepared, everything that goes into the establishment of the church and all the work that Jesus accomplishes, how that's done. John the Baptist, what was his, what was his role in all of this? Prepared the way. What does a prepare of the way do for a king? Gets it ready, right? Um, that is a statement from Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3. That was John's thing. But I want us to think about the importance of preparation. Who was John preparing? No, Jesus preparing himself. Who's John preparing? The Jews. Yes, thank you. The Jews. I don't know. It's like my whole career. I've missed this verse of scripture. Now that I have it, I want to use it all the time. <laughs> because John was preparing the way for the Jews. Why did the Jews need a preparation? Where did Jesus go first, in fact? They were the chosen of God. They, they were supposed to, they're the, you know, they're the people through whom the seed comes. They're the, they're the hope and all of that. And so Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to, to the Jews. Um, what was that text from Luke 19 verse 10? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Literally, what is it that had been lost? The, Jew, the Gentiles had never been saved. The Jews had been in this great relationship with God. What are they now? They're in darkness. They're lost. Who do they need? Their Messiah. I mean, that's the whole idea of a Messiah, right? Our Savior. And so along comes Jesus. John the Baptist prepares that way. Even the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle, generally the Apostle to the Gentiles, who did he go preach to first? Jews. 
the Jews, in the hope that the Jews would turn. In fact, in Romans 10, he begins that chapter by saying, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved for I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. John the Baptist trying to get that way. But let's back up from that. John the Baptist, yeah, in Jesus's time, but what about Jesus coming into a particular period. Remember our text was Galatians. We started with Galatians chapter four and verse four. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What's the big deal about the law? What did the law do according to Romans chapter three and verse 20? What did it give us a knowledge of? The law's purpose was to give us a knowledge of sin. You say, wait a minute, I know what sin is. Of course you know what sin is, because what happened to you at some point? Okay, I sinned, but how did I know I sinned? The Word of God decides whether it's a sin or not, yes. Yes, it's the Word of God. Don't, don't take that junk that society will tell you, well, it's just, you know, natural morality. We just grew into this. We did not just grow into behaving ourselves. That came from the law of God. What was the purpose of giving the law of Moses? So that God could separate a people out of those heathens in the world regulated by laws to purify them for simply the express purpose of bringing about a pure line of his son and fulfillment of promise that he made to Abraham, who is Jesus. Yes, where can Jesus take his lineage all the way back to? Well, don't go all the way back to Adam. All you need to do is go back to Abraham, the father of the faithful, in whom the promise was made. Remember that promise? In your seed, what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So all people will be saved in your seed. But what we find out in Galatians chapter 3 is that the seed is whom? It is Jesus Christ. So the law was to bring about the knowledge of sin so that you'll know, so that they would know what's right and what's wrong. But, but not just that. It's also what's called a tutor Galatians, would you read this for us? Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Schoolmasters, another translation. Yes. Wherefore the law was on... Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Okay, stop right there. Okay, it was our... This is, got to wrap your mind around this. It was our schoolmaster, or, or my translation, New King James says, was a tutor. The idea is, they could have used the words uh, a school bus. It is the thing that we all loaded ourselves into, whether it was a tutor who was preparing a group of children to advance them to maturity, tutor, whether it was a schoolmaster who, who teaches the kids and brings them along in their education to a point in which they can graduate. The law was that for us. Okay, keep going. To bring us unto Christ. To bring us to Christ. What was the purpose of the law? Not to bring us to the end result. The law simply served the purpose of bringing us to Jesus. Why is that important? Keep going. That we might be justified by faith. Yes, keep going. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Okay, there's your definitive statement. Are we still under the law if we're in Christ? No, we are not because the law serves the purpose to bring you to where? To Jesus. Once you're in Jesus, what happens to the law? Are you still riding a school bus around? I'm just asking. <laughs> uh, do you still have your third grade teacher following you around, reminding you of stuff? No, because you did what? You graduated. You moved on to maturity. Along with that, uh, Colossians chapter 2, 14. Thank you, Luther. Exactly. He, either he reads my mind or he knows his stuff. What do you think? 
<laughs> Colossians 2, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What happened to it? Nailed it to the cross. When did the law end? At the cross. When Jesus died on the cross. Does that make sense? Jesus died for the church, his kingdom. So when Jesus died on the cross, what's he dying for? He shed his blood, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, for the church, for the kingdom of God. Here's an interesting, and we're going to nuance this a little bit because I think this is important. Gospel is also good news. You know that. Jesus preached, John preached about the good news of the kingdom of God, but literally what Jesus was preaching was the good news of the coming, coming kingdom. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, and then Mark 9, 1. Matthew 10, verse 7. And as you go preaching, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that mean it's here yet? No, but it's where? Ooh, it's almost here. What's next? Mark 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Okay, if the kingdom hasn't come yet, as some people teach, uh, do we have some old people around somewhere? Because Jesus said that there are some of you standing here as he was speaking at that time who will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. So here's some things we're already assembling. It, it came during the Roman Empire. It came out of Jerusalem. Now we know it was coming during the time of people who lived when Jesus was there. Yes? Now, please understand this. Jesus, neither Jesus nor his disciples were in that while Jesus was living. Wait, what do you mean? Look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 and 3. And read that text for us. Saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. While Jesus lived, he said, hey, disciples... Don't get all bigoty about this kingdom that's coming because right now you are under the law of Moses. So whatever those hypocrites tell you the law of Moses says, you do it because you're still under that law, right? That law wasn't going to end until when? You remember? Colossians 2.14, until Christ died on, the, died on the cross. So look at this text from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Well, the kids are coming. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Watch this now. Not only was the church going to come at the time that Jesus died, but what was it that Jesus, we already saw some of this, what Jesus was doing on that cross as he was agonizing in pain, making sure what? That he was fulfilling every single prophecy. Now, what did Jesus say as he was walking about them and that wasn't even yet in view? He said, oh, don't, don't think about putting away that law until what happens? Until it's all fulfilled. Jesus on the cross finished the fulfillment of all of those scriptures. And at that point, he nailed the law to the cross after which would come what? The kingdom that would never be destroyed. Okay, we're going to stop right there. That's a good place to stop, right? Let's have a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for your attention. Father, we thank you for our time that we could study together. And I just I pray that these things are sinking in and making sense with all of us. Help us, help us to see just the simplicity of all these things that you have laid out in your scriptures. And thank you for the ability we have to, to put it all together. I pray that you'll make a great impression on us of how unique and important the church is and just progress us through it in, in the study. And Lord, please keep us safe as we travel and 
that your will give us a new day. And in that, we pray you'll give us motivation and opportunity to exercise our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.